You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by Thoroughbred Racing Commentaries Global Rankings. Good morning, welcome to the show. It is Tuesday, April the 26th, just three days away from the Kipco Guineas Festival, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And today marks the start of the five-day Punchestown Festival. It's the last hurrah for Anglo-Irish jumping, even though the British jump season's finished and starts again next week. Got it? Does it make any sense? It doesn't make much sense. Nor does the fact that Willie Mullins has 18 runners today and 27 runners tomorrow. We're living in a parallel universe, Racing Post senior writer. Lee Motta said, Mullins versus Mullins versus Mullins versus Mullins versus Mullins. And to be honest, Nick, at the Punchestown Festival in recent seasons, that has been what it's like pretty much every year. Um, this actually is it's one of my favourite racing weeks of the year, this, particularly when it clashes with the Guineas because you have the best of both worlds. And really, if you're Willie Mullins, it's a week you must look forward to, probably more than any other, even the Cheltenham Festival, because I think this, this particular festival is so close to his heart. If he has a good horse, you can almost guarantee he will run that horse. Yes, it's exception this year with Galapande Shaw because Ferry House was the obvious race. But pretty much, if Woody's got a good one, he'll run them at Punchestown. Um, you can see with the Tuesday grade ones, with today's group grade ones, he's got the first and second, the betting in two of the three grade ones. He runs his good horses against each other and they just win. Um, I've been there, I think, once, twice, maybe two years when Gordon Elliott has gone into this festival with a big lead in the Irish Trainers' Championship. You thought, well, he couldn't possibly do it, and he's ended up pulverising him. Well, this season he definitely will be champion trainer, and he'll very possibly break his existing record of 19 wins across the five days. And you see, we discussed yesterday a little, the, the big clash today, 525, the William Hill champion chase between Men, the champion chase hero, and Chacan Porsois. In his own backyard, Chacan Porsois is almost unbeatable. But we've seen that, apart from once in his entire career, Men is nigh on unbeatable. So, in truth, this should be the sort of clash we, we, we were rather hoping for at Cheltenham. It should be. And listen, who knows what would have happened if Shaka and Passois hadn't done what he always does at Britain and got something wrong. Um, he got rid of, of Patrick Mullins that day. Who knows what would have happened? And Ergerman went on to win a, a champion chase that in, in many ways disappointed with Shishkin uh, not running anything like his race that day either. What we know is that an Ergerman is an exceptionally talented two-mile chaser. But we also know that going into that champion chase... If you said to Willie Mullins, which of these two is a better horse, he would have said Chaka and Poussoir every time. He was absolutely adamant that of the two, Chaka and Poussoir was the one to be on. And it wouldn't surprise me at all today if he is the one to be on. I just wonder if ground conditions will be a little bit quicker than an Ogerman would have liked. And I think the track will be right up Chaka and Poussoir Street. We already know that. He loves this meeting. As you say, Nick, he's been imperious on his two visits to this festival. And I think the, I can understand why the bookies have an Ogerman as the odds on favour, but at the prices, I will be with Chaka and Poussoir every time in this race. And this race also shows, again, what's happened with, with Envoy Alain, because he's a big price to beat those two horses. Who'd have thought you'd get huge figures 
uh, against Envoy Allen going into last season's Charlton Festival about him in any race, but he really is now. Uh, he looks like a past glory. Well, one horse who is certainly not a past glory and is a coming force is effectively the sole significant British representative on day one. And that's Miller's Bank, trained by Alex Hales, who doesn't have the biggest string, but is a, a very decent trainer. Keelan Woods takes the ride on him. They won a grade one at Aintree. Hales had just touched down at Dublin Airport when I caught up with him a few moments ago and asked him how the horse was settling in in Ireland. Uh, look, he's travelled over really well and uh, settled in as, as well as you can hope, really. So I'm uh, very much looking forward to it. I think it's fair to say Aintree wasn't before time this season. Uh, it's not really his fault, but how frustrated were you getting with the way things had been panning out up to that point? Oh, hugely. Look, after Huntingdon, I, I knew we had the horse I thought he was. And then, you know, as, as I said at Aintree, these things aren't supposed to be easy. And um, I felt, not that I expected to win a grade one, but I felt he deserved his, you know, his time in the big time. So. I mean, you've trained some really smart horses, but you've never equivocated. You've always said, this is the best I've had. What sets him apart? What has always made him a little bit special for you? I just think he's, he's just always had something about him. And, um, and every sort of step we've taken him, with him, he's, he's sort of embraced and, and gone on from. And um, I just, funny enough, I don't ride him very often. And uh, I rode him yesterday morning for the first time for a long time. And he reminded me of why he's a good horse. He's got an enormous stride and he floats across the ground. And um, he just gives you a lovely feel. So. Uh, and Aintree's a tough track to jump around the Mild May track. Did it only reaffirm in your mind that the blips when he wasn't completing earlier in the season were just that? Yeah, I think so. And, and look, we, we, you know, he, he was a bit of a SOS horse, Miller's Bank. He saved our season. And um, we've had a sort of real up and down time and you know just whether he just wasn't quite on his A game at those two meetings anyway when when he unseated um, I'm not sure but um, you know we're back on track now so and he's a horse that you bred and that's what makes the story so so special really uh, you, and you breed a breed a few horses is it a sort of big part of your your strategy or is it just sort of happened by accident it, it's happened by pure stubbornness, really. We bought his, we bought his mother as a foal, and um, and she trained well, but then she picked up an injury. But I knew she was a good horse, and um, we owned her ourselves. And we decided that she had a nice pedigree, and she was definitely worth putting in foal. So, fourteen years later, here we are. And you know, look, it's tough breeding, but we're on the right side of it this time. We're very grateful. Beginner's luck. And in terms of what you're looking for for the for the future if all goes well today and he must have a a pretty good chance of running a a bold race where where do you see him landing next season what do you see as his key targets i think if i was being really optimistic you'd probably work back from Aintree again wouldn't you for the bowl um and and I would say that was where you should you should plan back from but um i'm very much the owner and i um you know, the whole team, we're just, tomorrow we're here and we're going to enjoy it and, and then we'll worry about next year, next year. So. And have you had a, a good dig into to this afternoon's race? Have you had a, a good dig into it to see where you might where you might fit? Yeah, very much so. Yeah, I've watched, I've watched every horse's video about five times. I've, um, I've watched a lot of racing around Punchestown recently and, um, yeah, I, I think 
we won't ride him just similar to Aintree and, um, and see where we are. But uh, look, I, it, it's a grade one and it's a, it's a good grade one, so they should be. Alex Hales there. And I, I think, Lee, the, the horse is a double-figure price, possibly because he's trained in Britain. But if, if, you, if you think there might be a hole in Bob Ollinger somewhere, and, and why wouldn't you after, after Cheltenham and the fact that he, we know he pulled a muscle and he's had a few issues, then probably not a bad price. I think he's got a big chance, Nick. Um, Racing post Tom Siegel, who's been tipping winners left, right and centre in recent weeks. He sounds pretty bullish about him as well. Um, and I think, I think he has got a major say in this race. Even if you just put him to one side for a second and look at the, the division, the, the staying novice chase division, it was one area at the Cheltenham Festival where, where Britain actually reigned supreme. You could argue almost across the board in novice chases, we were doing really well, but particularly in those staying novice chases. Remember the, the Brown advisory, the Lompresse winning that one. And I think Miller's Bank is a horse who, up to now, he has done his best work at the intermediate distance of two and a half miles. That's the distance he won the manifesto over at Aintree. And although you can argue it wasn't a particularly good manifesto novice's chase. He won it extremely convincingly and giving the indication that he could be better over further. Bear in mind, if you look at the opposition, well, if you take out Bob Ollinger, who, listen, Bob Ollinger is the favourite, but he, he won that race at Cheltenham almost like a tragic hero. He was absolutely spent behind Galapande Shaw and there was almost a sense of embarrassment um, about his victory because he was so inferior to Galapandish on that day. Now, they did find uh, an explanatory factor, physical factor, why he didn't run his race that day. Henry Brom had also reported that Rachel Blackmore said the horse made a noise at one point. I don't think you could be backing Bob Ollinger with a huge amount of confidence, particularly up in trip for the first time. And you take him out and the other Irish horses, they're very good, but they're not outstanding. So I think it's a great move from Alex Hales to run Miller's Bank in this race. I'd love to have seen more British horses running on day one at Punchestown. We have got a few more as the week goes on. But although we haven't got much in the way of quantity on day one, we have got quality. And I think Miller's Bank could spring a surprise. All right, Lee. Well, we're building up towards the, the Kipco Guineas Festival this weekend as well. We heard from James Ferguson. He was hopeful about mise-en-scene when we spoke to him yesterday for the 1,000 guineas. Uh, Dermot Weld, senior Irish trainer, he's got a bit of a dilemma on his hands as regards his contender. Yeah, he has, Nick. Um, and this one sort of rather came out of the blue. The, the, we, we had had hints that maybe Inspira wouldn't be running in the 1,000 guineas, or certainly there were doubts about it before she actually was ruled out on Sunday morning. But I wasn't expecting this from Dermot Weld yesterday. So he reported um, on, on Monday that Homer Songs, he says, will be left in the 1,000 guineas at Newmarket, and indeed she was. But the French guineas is under strong consideration. I would like to make punters aware of that. I would say it's 50-50 where she'll go. She's in very good form and has come out of a Leopardstown race very well. I'll make a final decision on Wednesday or Thursday at the latest. Now, she's in very good form, indicates that there's not a physical reason why he might want to wait a little bit longer um, from Newmarket to, to Longshore. And I can't see any other obvious reasons why you would uh, go to Longshore in the sense that this now looks a wide open 1,000 guineas and she's as short as five to one second favourite. Um, I remember saying on, on your on your Luck on Sunday programme, Nick, on Sunday, that re- it's, no, it's not an insult to the French guineas to say that the, 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 the new market guineas, I think, do out-trump them, outrank them in terms of prestige. So 
I'm, I'm a little bit puzzled, but obviously Dermot well knows what he's doing. Um, I don't know why he's, he, he's thinking in this way, but there clearly must be a reason. And she adds another, another element of um, the unknown now into this 1,000 guineas betting. Uh, nothing much surprising about what came out of Godolphin's uh, latest statement today. I mean, I reported and broke the news on the podcast yesterday morning that Wild Beauty would go to Newmarket in preference to Lanchard, uh, rather as you and I both predicted on on the Sunday show uh, the day before yesterday. And again, no real surprise that William Buick rides the the unbeaten champion juvenile native trail in preference to the hugely exciting Caribus. I mean, I, even if Caribus had been doing Frankalesque bits of work at home, Buick just can't get off native trail, can he? No, you can't. I, I, I've heard other people make this same argument, Nick, that if, if Caribus happens to go and win the 2000 guineas on Saturday, which is perfectly possible, he was tremendously exciting at two. If he happened to win the guineas, um, William Buick was sat on the back of Native Trail following him um, into the Unsaddling Enclosure. He'd be proceeding into the Unsaddling Enclosure after the race. There's no way that William Buick will be thinking, I made a stupid decision here. Whereas if he decided to ride Caribus and Native Trail on the 2000 guineas, he'd be thinking, what a mistake I made there. Well, we broke the news on the podcast last week of the retirement of Dave Roberts, super agent to 48 jockeys, including 14 of the top 20. So that left an awful lot of jockeys with no agency home to go to as the new season commences, well, at the beginning of next week. Uh, Sam Strong, a former jockey, was an agent for eight or nine years and has more recently been uh, assisting his wife, Ali, in their, their training operation. But he's taking a step back into the agency fold on, on Dave's retirement and joins me now. Sam, um, you're building up a little squad already. Yes, it um, it was a bit of a surprise i think to everybody when uh, dave announced his retirement and uh, it, it came as a bit of a a little bit of a shock um of course it was always going to happen one day um but um i think i don't think anybody was really prepared for it and um it's it, it just seems a very good opportunity um in the circumstances you've obviously had a significant experience of the business before and it's something you want to go back in now there's a, there's an opening who have you already signed up because you can't let the grass grow, really, can you? Because the season starts straight away. No, that's it. I mean, entries are already out today for Hexham and Uchoxter and, and, and the, like, the, the jump jockeys have a week off, but actually the entries already start straight away. And um, like I say, it was it was a too good opportunity with the fact that I've done it before. And um, I'm very fortunate that I, I know a lot of the trainers and, and I've dealt with them. And it's, it's not particularly as easy as some people think they can just kind of come in and do. So the fact that I've got a previous experience with it and already got contacts it's a it's a huge head start and um obviously the huge boots to fill uh, with dave but not necessarily trying to fill them but um but there's an opportunity there with maybe a smaller team uh, to really try and make a good go of it and you've you've signed up a couple of big big names already one of whom off the back of the final day of the season you're not going to have too many problems selling i don't think to too many trainers no, it's, it's fantastic one to have. Harry Copton um, is is on board already. Um, he was he, he was pretty much the, the the orchestrator of me sort of kind of moving forward with this. Um, he, he he was very keen for me to look after him and move forward. He, he knew I've obviously got history with Paul, uh, which is good, and obviously with Joe Tizard, uh, two big connections to him. And I mean, you don't need me to tell you about Harry Copton. He's um, 
riding out of his skin at the minute and uh, had an exceptional season. Um, unfortunately, he didn't quite ride the five winners, but ended up on 99 on uh, uh, the weekend. And he's an exciting one to have on the team, absolutely. And we've got a couple of others, uh, Daryl Jacobs on board as well. And he's obviously got the connections of uh, Simon Muneer and Isaac and um, Anthony Bromley. So that, that's another exciting one to have on part of the team. Uh, Rex Dingle with Anthony Honeyball, uh, Phil Armstrong, the young conditional with... Uh, with David Pipe, Angus Chalada with Paul Nichols, uh, Ben Post and Charlie Hammond, who are young lads that are still doing well as well. So at the minute, the, t- the team is just building. I mean, it, it's it's happened very quickly. It was all of a sudden, um, but it was one of those things that um, it was an opportunity, I thought, couldn't really be missed and uh, we're rolling with it. Right, that was Sam Strong um, and he's taken the ball by the horns, Lee. As I said, you, you can't let the grass grow because the season begins in a couple of days' time. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's the professionals. They're racing from from Saturday. I thought Dave Roberts made a, a good point again, Nick, on the on the Sunday program. That w- with some of these jockeys, there's not necessarily a, a mad rush because with with only one meeting a day, often during these next few weeks, jockeys could almost do it for themselves and book their own rides for a few weeks. But again, I think if you are an agent and you are hungry to get some of the the big riders, you probably do need to make a move fast before somebody else gets them. Interesting that Sam Strong has come back into this market. Um, as he made clear, he has a record um, in the business. He clearly knows all the jockeys, he knows all the trainers. Um, and what we can be sure of is that he isn't going to be the only one that is dipping his toes uh, into this water now. At Mays, we understand how important our outdoor spaces are. That's why we've developed luxury outdoor furniture collections to suit all homes. Browse our range at mazeliving.co.uk. Well, this week in our uh, company with our friends at Maze, we've been um, profiling a great Guineas winner each day. Yesterday, I spoke to Guy Harwood about Dancing Brave. Today, it's the turn of Willie Carson, multiply a winner of the New Market Classics. But, Willie, I really wanted to talk about 1989 and Nash won because that was one of the great Guinea stories of all time. Just tell me first of all how you felt going into the race and the level of confidence you had going into it. It's a well-known story. We didn't know about this horse basically until three weeks, was it three weeks before the Guinea? And then uh, after the, the great gallop, there wasn't a hell of a lot of doubt involved. And had he really shown? so little as a two-year-old had he really been keeping his light that well hidden no not really no no he, he was a winner uh, uh, he won he won a, a nice race at back end at Ascot he was a very very nice colt um, but the reason that uh, we all got a little bit shocked by him was because we hadn't seen him the major had kept him away because he had got this great big splint and he was given him plenty of time um, for the splint to heal and harden off and he, he wasn't working him, he was keeping him in the third lot and we never saw it and, uh, but he was a colt that we thought very highly of as a back end two yes But it's fair to say he wasn't your chief guinea's hope was he at that stage? Prince, Prince of Dance who was by Sadler's Wells out of Sun Princess was a machine and unfortunately he went wrong uh, and that was the reason why Nashwan was, came forward uh, <laughs> uh, quite dramatically because uh, uh, we had to find something for the guineas and this was the guy 
when when you did that piece of work, just just talk me through it. How far was it over? What were you working with, and what what were you expected and expecting to do? I had wrote I had wrote Nash one the week before, and the major had said to me, "Now a north count." let this horse go. I just want you to tell me if he's okay for a piece of work. But he said, on no account, ask a question. Just see what you think. And that was the week before this piece of work. And I said, he's fine. I, I, I didn't see anything wrong with him. Because obviously the major was very worried that he had missed all this proprietary work. And of course, when we got to the gallop, um, uh, Arnold Weinstock, who had booked it in the morning to come and see Prince of Dan's gallop for his last gallop before the guineas, he was there to watch this happen. But his horse, unfortunately, uh, was in his box uh, and he wasn't able to, uh, you know, do the work. And I worked with, uh, I believe it was two other three-year-olds, a four-year-old who was rated a hundred and that we had got from um, Newmarket uh, through the winter and he was a, a decent guide and uh, we worked over seven furlongs and I sat last and then I obviously when I got to the we went over seven and when I got to the five and a half I sort of loosened the reins as it were let them go and off he went, he strode away from them. And uh, when I pulled up, I looked round, there was nobody in sight. There was specs in the distance. And I caught, I was a little bit annoyed with uh, Brian Proctor, who was the main work rider for us at uh, Dick Hearn. And I said, Brian, what the hell did you pull up for? Why didn't you come with me? And then I, I saw his face, and I realised what had happened. Yeah. Uh, that uh, my fella had just uh, hit the turbo and gone away from him, and of course we were we were all absolutely elated and delighted that uh, we had found one. And you knew that if you got to the, to the two thousand guineas in one piece, and he he gave that sort of run again, he would he would win and win he did and and win very well from two very very good horses of of Khaled Abdullah's. Uh, there was a lovely clip the other day. Somebody posted the interview, the post-race interview um, that Bruff Scott undertook with you and and the major, Dick Hearn. And they commented on how still and quiet you were and you were just looking on at the major in sheer in sheer admiration. Um, as a, I'm guessing a measure of the, the great respect you had for the man and what he'd achieved to get the horse to do what he did that day. Of course, well... Uh, when I went in 1977 to Major Dick Hearn, I was just a good jockey. Uh, and um, the Major made me into a classic winning jockey. You know, I made me into, well, I suppose, I'm not a big head, but, uh, you know, world made me into world class, I suppose you could say. And uh, he's the guy that did it. And, uh, and of course, I was watching things that he did with horses, which I in all honesty at the time thought oh that's a bit wrong but uh, no it wasn't <laughs> he was right and uh, no, he was a great trainer he, underst he understood horses you know and he was sort of one of, like the old fashioned trainer he spent most of his time in the stable and watching him uh, on the gallops and he always told me the best time to watch 
how a horse is behaving was coming in after a horse had galloped, after the work, and he would sit on his hat at the back of the string and be a bit wide of them and watch how his horse would behave, how they were sort of uh, their demeanour, were they jig-jogging, were they walking nicely home, you know, that was, that's, that was an artist at work really, and uh, he was a great trainer. And he he was a guy that, uh, of course, I had a lot of respect for. But um, I've always remembered Dick saying uh, when he was interviewed after the after the guinea was, "Will this horse handle the hill at Epsom?" Major's retort was, "This horse will gallop down the side of a building." Ah, the great. Willie Carson, Lee, and great memories of 89 and, and Nash one. And that line there that, you know, Major Hearn turned him in from, from just being a jockey to, he sort of rather, he stuttered, but he got there in the end, a world-class rider, which he was, is, is, is quite a testament to, to, to the late Major. It's a heck of a good line, Nick. And listen, we, we've, we've heard Willie talking so often over the years, both as a jockey and as a BBC broadcaster. And I've never heard him say that before. It's a... It's a heck of a tribute to uh, to the major, and as with the case with with the dancing brave section yesterday, Nick with Guy Harwood, I, I love this these these discussions of the our, our past champions in the Guineas, and you, you've picked two great ones for the first two days. I mean, I, I remember I remember Nashwan's Guineas vividly. I would have been what thirteen years old at the time, um, and the way he he powered up the hill that day off the back of that incredible gallop um at home and then of course what he went on to do after that made him one of the all-time greats like he's like his jockey so um you, you've set the bar high so far nick with dancing brave and nash one who have you got on day three has a has a lot to keep up with obviously it's very carefully put together who would you like <laughs> who, who would who would i like um, well who's your, who's who would be your wish and i'll attempt to grant it well, I tell you, I'd, maybe let's go for a different one, Nick. What about a chat with Pam Sly about Speciosa? All right. Your wish is my command. I will, um, I will give Pam a call for tomorrow because it, it, it was a fantastic story. This is request podcasting, Nick. Yeah, don't start setting a precedent. <laughs> this is only going to go one way. Create your outdoor living moments with Maze. Shop online at mazeliving.co.uk. Well, it is Tuesday, and it's the day we go around the bloodstock world with our friends at Weatherby's, their stallion book, and their excellent global stallion app. And we make one of our relatively infrequent but extremely valuable trips to South Africa today. And you'll remember if you've been listening to this section of the podcast before that we've spoken to representatives from Main Chance. We spoke to Andreas Jacobs, Vasfontein Stud, Susan Rowett. Uh, we talked to Craig Kiesvetter. Uh, the former well-known cricketer, about his bloodstock operation at Ridgemont Highlands. Uh, and Tom talked to uh, John Costa from Claverfly Stud as well. And all of those major breeding concerns and so many more will be represented at the premier sale in South Africa over the next uh, few days. Uh, that is the national sale and the catalogue is is now available to view online as well. And it gives me great pleasure to welcome to the pod today, uh, Alistair Gordon, 
who was a long-time and very successful trainer, and he's now taken up the role of yearling selector and client liaison for, for Bloodstock South Africa, who run the sale 28th, 29th of April, the next couple of days. Uh, Alistair, uh, great to, to welcome you to the podcast this morning. Um, just tell us a little bit about the the industry in South Africa at the moment. We've spoken to so many of the of the leading consigners and, and sort of what you expect from a, from a Bloodstock auction in, in 2022. Yeah, thanks very much, Nick. I really appreciate you um, taking the time to, to talk to us. Um, I must say we're exceptionally proud as a sales company for the catalogue that uh, has been put together for this national yearling sales, the premier national yearling sales. Um, personally, and a lot of other people agree with me that I think it's one of the best uh, catalogues that's been put together in South Africa for a very long time. Um, and I'm happy to say that... Um, you know, I think the individuals match up to the pedigree, so I'm actually really, really excited. So is that indicative of a, a resurgence uh, in South African breeding, just better better stallions, better stock coming through? Um, I think, I think obviously, due, once uh, we went through COVID, like everybody else in the world, um, there, there was really tough times for a lot of the breeders, in fact, every single one of them here. And I think there was a, a cutback on numbers. I mean, we've seen this year with like entries that the, the, the numbers have dropped off. Um, but obviously the drop off comes at the bottom end of the market. You know, people, if they do have to get rid of mares or whatever, they obviously will go for their weakest pedigrees or their weakest individuals, um, which then leaves the best, you know, the cream will rise to the top. Um, and, and I think that's what we're seeing now. So as somebody who's been inspecting the yearlings, what is it you're most excited about? What's really grabbed your attention? Um, well, I think the inspections, we do we do the inspections in January of this year, so uh, 2022. Um, we go around the farms that have entered their horses for the national yearling sales, and we do a physical inspection on the farms, and we score them out of 10 on the farm. And then we get together with the guys that are involved in the pedigree um, um, selections, and that's how we bash out the catalogue. Um, and I think, you know, I think it's just, uh, yeah, I mean, maybe it's just one of those years, but I mean, it really is a sensational catalogue. And, and I mean, I've done, really looked at every yearling so far on the, on the, on the premises. And I think they, they match up very, very well. So, yeah, I'm thrilled. And, and I've had trainers and, and people say to me that they think it's a fantastic draft of horses. And just looking at some of the stallions that are represented, they'll be very familiar to so many of our listeners, uh, not just across Europe, but across the world as well. Uh, I know we've spoken before about, about twice over and the impact that he's had in, in South Africa, but sort of more recently, horses like Erupt, the Dubawi horse who won the Canadian International for, for the Niarcos family standing at main chance. You've even got a no nay never in the in the catalogue as well. So uh, there, there's plenty of those sort of really strong, long-established either North American or European bloodlines that are, that are coming through some of these yearlings. No, definitely. I mean, we did lose four or five of our best stallions almost over a period of two or three years, which obviously does, you know, affect it. But, you know, there's some really good horses coming through. Um, last year's champion, Sai, will give me the green light and, you know, he continues. Um, the local uh, bred uh, Silvana horse, uh, Verson Getrix, we raced him to buy successfully for Mike DeCock. Um, he's he's really hitting his straps now. And we've got some really exciting young horses. I mean, Danon Platina, he's a, a son of deep impact, a group one winner in Japan. And I stand corrected, but I think he is the only son of deep impact in the Southern Hemisphere. I might be wrong on that, but I think he might be. Um, so he's got his first crop of babies. 
Um, you've got a horse like Lancaster Bomber, who sadly is deceased. Um, and he's uh, going to have two cups. But he was a Group 1 winner in Europe. And, I mean, he's got some really, really nice yearlings. Um, and then, as you say, he wrapped. I mean, I don't think any of us expected him to be throwing uh, graded stakes winners over 1,000 metres when you, you saw his, you know, his race records over 2,400. So I think he's a horse that we're all hoping will kick on. Yeah, well, you can't really go wrong with Dubawi, can you? No, no. If you follow around the world, he's, he's uh, sensational. And for you, Alistair, this represents a, a, a change of direction. This is this is something that you're now devoting your your life to. But you were a, a very successful trainer um, near Durban. What what prompted the change? Um, I think it was basically age, um, and you know I'd done a long stint in training, and I had great times, and I certainly had no regrets on it, but. Um, when I was afforded the opportunity to get involved with the um, Badstock South Africa, it was incredible opportunity to, I mean, there's nothing nicer than traveling around the country, going to farms. I mean, I'm friends with all the breeders. Um, you see the new foals from the new stallions. You see the new stallions. Uh, and it's, it's fascinating, and I actually love it. It's, it's, uh, it's, I'm very, very spoiled to be able to be doing what I'm doing. And in terms of the racing season, what's the next big highlight for you? Um, well, I have a big race meeting in Johannesburg on the, we, we, our sale is on Thursday the 28th and Friday the 29th, which is, um, the end of this week. And then this coming Saturday, the 30th, they have a big race meeting at Turfontein, uh, a race course, which is not too far away from here. I think there are seven graded races of which I, I, I think there are two, uh, group ones. Um, so it, it's the finale of the, um, what we call the high felt season. Um, and then it moves down to the KwaZulu-Natal season um, from then onwards. And obviously, a lot of the um, trainers from the Western Cape in Cape Town and the guys from the Highfalt up here in Johannesburg take courses down and stable them down in Durban. Um, and that's, that's like the pinnacle of the year. So that will go through until the end of July. And then obviously in the Southern Hemisphere, we start a new season from the beginning of August. Uh, my thanks to Alistair, uh, to Willie Carson, to Sam Strong, and uh, earlier in the program, I've nearly forgotten who was the, who was the first guest. Hey, Alex Hales, good luck to him with Will Miller's Bank. How could I forget that? Um, Lee, we need to give an update on Josh Moore. A, a cautious little step in the right direction, I think, is the latest we can say. Stabilised now to the point where doctors feel they can start thinking about completing the operation on his back. Yeah, Nick, it, it, it does sound positive, and I think we have to um, cling to and welcome anything that's positive that comes out of the, the hospital at the moment. Um, we were both at Sandon on Saturday. Josh was on everybody's minds. We've all been hoping for good news. This does sound like good news. My goodness me, he and the family deserve some good news, and let's hope that if this is a positive trajectory that start and that it only continues in the right direction. Lee, your final task today is to provide us with a winner. I mean, it can be trained by Willie Mullins or you can be more adventurous. Well, listen, I would say that I'm very sweet on Miller's Bank in the, in the, in the 635, the, 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 the champion novice chase, but we've, we've referenced him a lot so far. We've also, as you say, referenced Willie Mullins so far. So I'll go with Willie Mullins, not, maybe not one of the obvious ones. In the 450, the Killer She Hotel handicap hurdle, a very fine establishment under new ownership, I'm told as well, Nick. Um, Farouk pulled very hard at Fairy House 
last time. He'd run well in the county hurdle before that. That run suggested to me there's a decent handicap hurdle in him if he can be more um, more receptive to Paul Townend's hands on this occasion. I think he has a big chance in the 450, the Kilishi Hotel handicap hurdle route. Lee, thank you very much. Thank you very much. Tomorrow I'll be coming from Punchestown myself because I'm about to get on a plane and fly there now. Uh, Jane Mangan, appropriately enough, will be my guest. But that, for the moment, was Tuesday the 26th of April. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary. Thank you.